0: This podcast is sponsored by Google search. It's where your customers find what matters to them and where you can find what matters to your business. To learn more, visit g.co slash think slash search smarter. That's g.co slash think slash search smarter.
1: Hello and welcome to Marketing That Matters, a podcast series from Marketing Week and e-consultancy sponsored by Google. In this podcast we look under the bonnet of how brands are transforming their approach to digital marketing, covering customer experience, e-commerce, search and much much more. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week and Festival of Marketing and I am your host. Our subject today is Meaningful Effectiveness, more precisely what marketers should be measuring to demonstrate success. Now, the explosion of digital marketing and the avalanche of data that has come with it means there is no shortage of means to measure success. But how meaningful are marketing metrics such as clicks, views and engagement to assess the effectiveness of spend and in driving brand growth? And what is the best way to measure effectiveness with the consistency and clarity that will help marketers not only demonstrate impact, but also help them gain influence? To discuss and answer these questions, and perhaps even more, we have three marketers looking to meet these challenges head on. Let me introduce them. I've got Joe Lyle, UK CEO of BrainLabs, Andy Goodwin, Head of Search at BrainLabs, and Simon Crane, Head of Marketing at Witch. Joe, Andy, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you here.
2: Hi, Russell. Thanks for having us.
1: Great to be here. Yeah.
2: Thanks very much. Great to be here.
1: Simon, let me begin with you. What challenges are you facing as a marketer at Which in demonstrating the role that marketing plays in driving sustainable business growth?
2: Yeah, I should. Um, I should probably just start by providing a little context as to why delivering sustainable business growth for Which is so important. Please. I think many will know Which is you know the UK's consumer champion. For many, a really you know much trusted and, and loved brand and the purpose of which has never really changed, protect consumers to make life uh, simpler, fairer, and safer for everyone. What everyone might not know, though, is that as an organisation, we're not for profit. We have a parent charity, the Consumers Association, and that's funded by our commercial activities. So whether that's membership subscriptions for consumers seeking to access our product reviews or access the investigations and advice in our magazines, whether it's our endorsement businesses or switching services, amongst other business interests, the important thing is that we need these to help fund the ongoing consumer action work that we do, and therefore being... Self-funded means that to grow our charitable activities, we really do need to grow our commercial activities. So delivering sustainable business growth is vital to ensure which can continue to protect UK consumers for years to come. I just thought it was important uh, because that is a really motivating context for us as a marketing team. And I guess that's where we start as a marketing team with our challenge. We're early into a three year growth strategy at which we're looking to reverse paying membership decline that we've been seeing. And we're also looking to build kind of a large free registered user base over the coming years. Whilst we've been really successful over a number of years uh, at driving huge volumes of, of new members, but... Previously, we were acquiring members on on a £1 trial uh, and with a kind of a one-size-fits-all membership bundle. Great at driving huge volume at point of acquisition, but, but actually we typically saw incredibly high cancellation rates in that first year, as perhaps you might expect. So therefore, kind of the challenges that we've been facing into, to come back to your kind of direct question, our challenges has been around changing what has been quite an ingrained focus on trialist acquisition and acquiring new members initially looking at CPAs and really turning that around to value. And uh, I'll talk a bit more about that later with with Andy, no doubt. That does mean, obviously, we need to demonstrate that our paid media activity is going to drive future value. And that's a challenge. And We need to demonstrate that when we're bringing members in, we believe that they will be staying longer. And therefore, the challenge that comes with that is we've got to make sure we've got the right measures. And these are probably these are different measures in place so that we can demonstrate that whilst we might be bringing in less volume, that we're confident that that less volume will drive growth over time and we've had to hold our nerve whilst we've built up a new picture of what retention rates of these new members are to validate effectively the switch in the model and so i guess the kind of final challenge that's linked to that is therefore we have to demonstrate how we can build momentum to growth when you're switching models and we have to own, own that and actively manage that and i think we do that by showing that we've got the right kpis probably where i perhaps Just talk about very briefly what we've been doing with Brain Labs. We've been starting to address these challenges. We've made significant changes to our paid search bidding processes. We've been moving from a traditional target cost per acquisition to uh, target values based on product value, predicted product value. And that, for example, sees us bidding higher for users or potential members that we think are going to be more likely to take up a subscription that will be of higher value, such as an annual subscription The target model is working now and, you know, whilst cost per acquisitions have gone up, we are seeing our kind of a new measure of cost per third, the number of members that make the third full payment after joining us. We're seeing that come down over time. So that's really promising. We have had to go back to the drawing board on things like incorporating churn propensity models because we we saw a lot of volatility there and that wasn't really working for us. So we're, we're working with Brain Labs to see how we can bring that in and make that work. So fundamentally, We've started to address a number of challenges, but there's a lot more to do, a lot more testing to do.
1: Thank you, Simon. Um, what you were describing there does or will resonate with a lot of people uh, listening. The move towards value, and what I assume that you mean by that is is the value of the sale and a way for volume, because you also mentioned ROI as well, which can be a useful metric, but it's very and severely limited because it doesn't necessarily demonstrate long-term profitability and, and indeed actually it can be erosive and corrosive to long-term profitability. So thank you for highlighting quite a few issues there and indeed some of the ways that you are going about looking to address those in, in the digital sphere. You mentioned Brain Labs. let me bring in Andy, Andy Goodwin who I introduced at the beginning there. Some of the challenges that uh, Simon laid out that which are facing and that you guys are working with them on, I'm assuming are replicated and, and that you've seen generally in the market with other clients, what kind of challenges around this? I mean the f- absolutely fundamental question of not just demonstrating because that's only half the job but actually driving sustainable business growth have you seen
3: yeah it's a very good question and uh, yeah simon's Simon introed me th- very thoroughly there um i think we see this replicated across a lot of clients i think some i would say probably some of the changes that which i've been making over the last one two years have probably put them ahead of where where we see a lot of our clients are in this space i think there are probably a couple of main challenges that People can get caught up with. Often, we find that the marketing teams who are kind of you know responsible for running their uh, the campaigns won't always have that view in mind of what the bigger picture is and what is that longer term value that we're looking to drive. In a sense, you know they they kind of get targeted with whichever KPIs they have passed down to them through the business, which is often, as Simon mentioned, can be based on that initial point of sale. But there's not that kind of discussion around, you know, what's the longer term value this brings in. So, yeah, I think keeping that kind of front of mind of, yeah, what is the bigger picture is is something we do challenge our clients on as much as we possibly can. And I think the second thing that is very easy to slip into, especially from a digital point of view, obviously, Russell, you mentioned at the start, you know, there's so many metrics that we have at our disposable within the digital space to measure the effectiveness of media relative to other media, whether it's view-through rates, click-through rates, et cetera, but it's very easy to get... You know too rolled up and too caught up in those metrics and lose sight of the fact that actually really we should just be looking at you know a simplified dashboard that doesn't focus on all of this huge range of data that we have available really for us to make the most effective decisions we need to be looking at what is it that's useful for the business so how much have we spent um i guess you know how many sales has that generated and the associated value that we expect that to bring in not just now but over the course of the next two, three, five years, whatever that lifetime value window needs to be.
1: Yeah, simplification and and focus, as you've just described and illustrated there, uh, seems very key to me. And as I said, and you referred to in my introduction, there's no shortage of means and ways to measure uh, success. But uh, with marketing metrics, plenty, they don't necessarily, though, demonstrate that you are moving the dial. I mean, Generally, uh, why do you think that linking marketing to business outcomes poses such a big challenge? Because it is a challenge for people.
3: There's probably two sides of this, I think. Probably the harder part to answer is, taking kind of the paid search hat off for a while, is anything that's not considered in your direct response or acquisition stream of marketing. We do know it's the effects of that activity are much longer term. If you're building a brand, you're not going to see an instant noticeable uptick in sales necessarily off the back of those campaigns some of the things we're starting to look at with some of our data teams is understanding what are the most pertinent soft metrics that can be influenced in the short term by uh, brand activity so i guess awareness consideration those sorts of metrics and trying to understand how they correlate with future sales and future business value that may well be custom for every business and it might find that you need to shift different metrics to help build that brand over time but that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily have access to and it's understandable why people could have a natural tendency to try and take everything back to looking at okay what's the initial ROI or
1: CPA we've achieved on this activity. Talk to me a little bit more about some of the things that Simon brought up that you are working with them and presumably other clients on some other ways to measure to meet this ultimate objective which is to demonstrate more meaningful measure of success there were a couple of things that you mentioned but uh, if you can illustrate what they are uh, why they're different and what objectives that you have for them
3: yeah sure so there are a couple there I'd maybe tag on a third from my side as well actually um, but we'll start with the, the first two so we spoke about kind of the fact that, you know, which have moved away from this one size fits all membership package of a one pound trial rolling into a, a rolling subscription. And there's now, uh, I guess, greater selection of, you know, exactly what you want your package to include. And with that, that kind of opens up an opportunity as kind of like a first step into looking at value of saying, okay, well, what is the average, you know, lifetime value for someone who signs up for each of those six different products that we have? that's something that we can you know report on easily within our activity you know we can, we can record exactly which products people have signed up for um, and we can start to optimize our media towards that as well so paid search being kind of an obvious testing ground for that and that's something we've seen yeah really good effects of so although 2020 was uh, it's fair to say a bit of a bumper a year for which we are seeing that ROI is faring better compared to CPA. So, you know, we've been able to drive up that average value of each new customer that we get. The second point was potentially the more advanced one and probably like, I guess, ours and which is more ideal future scenario. So, Witch have helped to build what we're referring to as a churn propensity model that really helped us try and understand after the first few days of a customer's subscription to Witch, what's the likelihood that they're still gonna be with us within three months time? And there's you know, a lot of data modeling that goes on behind the scenes. But very broadly speaking, that will look at things like number of sessions since they've signed up. What sorts of content are they looking at? Have they viewed the cancellation page at all? Um, I assume comes into that in quite a big way as well. And with those kind of forecasts that gives us a bit more of a, I guess, an early read on what is the value of the customers that we've brought into the business. So of course, it is an estimate, it is a forecast, so it's never going to be 100% correct, but it does allow us to keep our finger on the pulse a bit more and manage that side of the business a bit better. And then probably the third area I'd touch on from a which specific standpoint would be some of the tools that have been built and we're starting to, I guess, kind of get a feel for to help measure some of the more upper to mid funnel campaigns that have been run. So where we've got a piece of activity and we know and we're all aligned that it's not going to drive uh, immediate sales and immediate subscriptions, we've built a model that will try and estimate the future likelihood of that person to subscribe, which is a very cool piece of text, to be honest. So again, that will look at lots of on site behavior, taking data from Google as well on, you know, all of the information that they hold around the user, which then allows us to know, okay, Did we kind of sufficiently engage them with that interaction, with that media interaction, that that's going to increase their propensity to convert with us later down the line? So, yeah, I think that's probably another one that's worth tagging on. Three kind of like very data focused
1: solutions um, is is the approach we've taken so far. And it sounds like to me it's in a constant state of evolution in pursuit of the more meaningful. So thank you very much for talking us through some of those Uh, developments and the way that you're working with which on them. Joe, if I could bring you into uh, this conversation, you've been sitting there patiently. We've heard a lot and um, as in my position, I I receive a lot of uh, predictions of change and legacy and and outcomes from a pandemic, how on one hand it's changed everything, on the other it has changed nothing. But zeroing in on the, the topic of this conversation, which is about measure, it's about driving growth and finding the right means to determine and talk about success because it is about narrative I mean how are you seeing the pandemic in terms of a legacy and a change in this particular area
4: so I think with the pandemic, we saw a real focus on quite short-term metrics for for many brands. Everyone was focused on what was happening really in the week they were in, the the coming month or the coming quarter at best, because it was so unpredictable. We couldn't really guess what consumers were going to do because we didn't know how we were going to be, whether we were in our homes or um, set free to go to, to the stores again. So it made forecasting incredibly difficult for many many brands and many of our clients I think what it also did is make some of the measurement process a little bit more reductive than it maybe is now and had been in the past because the metrics that we could control were the ones that we were able to see every day so interest in growing brand metrics definitely became lower priority on the agenda or harder to justify potentially for kind of marketing teams and internal stakeholders because they were looking at where are my sales numbers what what's happening th- this week in a in a market that was just completely unpredictable in, in in many ways and even now as we emerge out of the pandemic to some degree what we're left with is a lack of benchmark so when you're looking at for example building your 22 plans where's your benchmark for performance? Is it this year, which was a kind of a weird year? Was it last year that was a a bubble year for many brands because they saw huge growth and huge demand for for e-com, for example? Or was it 2019 when actually many of the the digital business platforms were were just a bit less developed? So you had this huge acceleration of e-com as well during the pandemic. So it's very, very hard to say, What does normal look like and what would great growth look like in 22? So that does create a very big measurement problem for many brands and probably a level of discomfort for internal stakeholders if you're the CFO or or any of the kind of financial teams to, to try and get some controls on how marketing money is being invested. But in general, what I'm seeing now is a bit of a trend towards Longer-term metrics, so understanding lifetime value, um, I think to to Simon's point earlier, there's no point in bringing a customer in that actually churns later on. So lifetime value is becoming a metric that is getting easier for us to measure as we become more sophisticated, doing many of the things that Andy was describing and using data to help us understand performance and customer behaviour and how they move through life cycles, etc. But what we need is a bit of a weaning-off the the short-term metrics because there's still a bit of a temptation to go oh my cpcs are up and actually does it does it matter if the cpcs are up cpcs are just relative to the market relative to demand or whatever's happening at that time they don't really matter but we're so used to looking at them as a barometer for what's going on and in order to really move into longer-term metrics you have to take your hands off a little bit and just trust that everything is going to work to some degree. And this is the direction of search as a channel in particular, that it's moving more and more into automation. So we're all going to have to get comfortable with it.
1: Mm. You you raise a lot of interesting points. Uh, I mean, I've been around at Marketing Week for about 10 years, and I, I, I feel like we've been in a perpetual state of economic uncertainty in that period of time but having said that there was a shift pre-pandemic absolutely that I saw and talked to a lot of people about towards or going back towards a balance for a, and a proper healthy balance of longer term strategic thinking and measurement and goal setting as well as more tactical stuff thanks for that Joe Simon um, from your perspective did a lot of what Joe was saying resonate uh, in terms of well, both the impact, but also hopefully the switch back to, from what you were describing, obviously you're absolutely striving towards uh, longer term thinking.
2: Yeah, I think that absolutely resonates. I think there's probably a few key points really around. So we very much actually looked at the pandemic as, for which as an organisation, offered up huge opportunity because of course consumers were looking for a lot more advice, whether that's products that they're buying throughout the pandemic or, or advice that they're seeking around money matters etc so in a way never had we been in such high demand and had such a role to play so what came with that is a great opportunity but then I guess as a marketing team then there's a responsibility there to try and make sure that we make the most of that opportunity and I think that's where I mentioned earlier about holding your nerve because we had changed our model kind of at the height of all this happening Uh, there's had to be a lot of holding of nerve and of course we 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 keep looking at CPM, cost per clicks, cost per acquisition but, but yes we've had to hold our nerve looking at projected You know, new measures that we've brought in, like cost per third, cost per sixth, etc. You know where we project members to be after three or six months of membership, whilst we built out what the actual retention rates are, uh, which we now have done. The second point around the unpredictability of forecasting. Yeah, I think we've had to get as comfortable as we can, knowing that when you look back at 2020 or 2019, it is just not comparable, and therefore. Again, what you have to do is focus on, well, are we happy with what we're delivering at, at this moment in time? And based on what we think what we're delivering will deliver over time. Of course, we all keep looking back at year on year and we all want year on year growth. But because some of those you know variables are just so kind of distorted. Yeah, we have to be increasingly comfortable with some of the variances may look a bit odd. The important thing is what we're doing now and what we project that that will do going forward. So, yeah, that's that's been a big shift because, of course, we're all very Keen to see, you know, sessions up year on year. Would like to have more, you know, members coming in year on year. But it, a lot of it, a lot of it, is just not comparable anymore.
1: Thank you, Simon. Uh, if I could ask you and Andy and Joe just to hold further thoughts for a moment, because I'd like to bring in Matt Bush, who's managing director of Agencies Partners and Creative at Google. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Russell. Hello. Now, Matt, tell us about your partnership with Brain Labs. How you work with them and what makes that partnership unique.
0: All of our partnerships are, uh, are are unique by the very nature of the fact that every agency and partner is looking to do something quite different, which is great, right? It means that there's lots of diversity in the market. It means that there's options and opportunity for clients to work with different agencies depending on what their needs are. I think the key things around the partnership are, at source, there's a lot of trust about how we see the future of marketing. You know, we both kind of believe in the future of digital in particular, of course, And, you know, by having that sort of, you know, inner belief and the trust that we've built up over years uh, has meant that we can challenge each other, I think, really quite hard. And that puts pressure on both of us to continue to perform, to continue to do better and actually leads, I think, to significantly better work as a result. Right from the start, there was a real kind of deep seated desire for Brain Labs to be seen as like the best in class at the way in which they use our tools and tech. And that's come through and... And they've always been quite sophisticated in their approach to search in particular they've obviously moved into various other areas since then they don't just do search now but but certainly from the start they really kind of thought hard about what that was going to look like Um, data very much at the heart of everything they do use of tech very much at the heart of what they do and I think a lot of that comes from the type of people they employ. You know, they've got a really diverse set of people that they've got within their teams uh, from different backgrounds and with different thinking and ideologies coming through. And they've actually worked with some fantastic clients too. And I think, you know, when you've got great clients who are also challenging you, it does again lead to that that fantastic work that comes through. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a unique partnership. It's been built up over many, many years with a, a trust and that kind of belief in the future of marketing right at the heart of what we do
1: i mean brain lads uh, included uh, what are the key attributes of google's top agency partners the thing that perhaps binds them all together
0: yeah i i, I guess i've kind of touched on some of that before I, th- I think you know first thing is this notion of a partner so we go into meetings you know feeling like we're equals and that we need to challenge each other and you know that just leads to high standards without question and i think that's something that we see with with all of our top partners you know where we really do believe that we've got that open forum to have those sometimes quite challenging but always really really interesting conversations to drive things that much harder the way in which our partners think about innovation and building on top of the technology and the data that we provide has always been absolutely critical so we are at heart a a technology company we put things out into the market and we try and work with Clients and partners to get the very best out of that technology. And and the really good agencies and partners are the ones who build on top of that, who build other services so that they can add that extra layer of benefit to a client. And then, you know, again, I was talking about the notion of a belief in the future of marketing. and, And I think the best partners are the ones who are forward thinking. They're always trying to understand what's coming next marketing generally but digital marketing in particular is constantly changing it's such a dynamic and interesting industry which is you know one of the main reasons why clients still rely so heavily on their agencies and partners because you know they find it difficult to move so quickly with the times and so you know the ones who are really embracing that digital change and picking up on and learning are the ones who are you know ultimately being significantly more successful.
1: Yeah, I mean is that how an agency can stand out in a competitive market, that, that embrace of change, that embrace of partnership, that uh, embrace of innovation, or are there other things that you've seen that can differentiate themselves to prospective clients?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, you know, they're definitely without, without question, embracing the, the, the future, not being afraid of what's coming down the line, And trying to work out what your position is, you know, how you feel about this new technology or new piece of data, whatever it is, how you incorporate it in what you're currently doing, how you use it to add value to your client interactions is absolutely critical. You know, like utilization of data. We've had tons of data in our industry for a long, long time. But the reality is that it hasn't always been utilized in the way that it could be. And so, like, you know, if you can really get on top of how you can use that data to really drive your your advertiser strategy, uh, not just on the marketing side, but across pretty much every single consumer touch point they, they have, then you're going to be out offering a lot more value to the customer. It's probably less so now, but we definitely saw a, a bit of a dip where, you know, some agencies kind of fell into this sort of media implementation kind of area, which isn't ultimately helpful. You know, automation is playing such a big role just being able to implement media is not really a skill set that's going to be valued in the future planning is still going to be critical strategy is still going to be critical but then you know really kind of understanding where automation sits in your value chain and making sure that you know you are utilizing all the data that exists to kind of really drive that value back into the business that your client is demanding and what this all comes down to really is to really stand out you've got to make sure that you're fully understanding where the customer's coming from the c-level table is is more important than ever really making sure that you you fully understand exactly what the goals objectives drive future of that business is going to be so you can you can help them where they need that help you know what can a client not do why are they looking for an agency partner and trying
1: to fill that gap thinking brands and agencies uh, what are the areas that should be top of mind if you were sitting opposite key clients and agencies uh, today, what would you advise in the one or two things? I think
0: we've kind of touched them before, but just to try and to distill them, automation critical. And, you know, this isn't just about uh, getting a machine to do everything. It's absolutely far from it. You know, Google's got a strong belief that the stronger the machine gets, the more necessity there is for humans to fully understand exactly how to get the best out of that machine. And so automation is like the next path along that journey. You know, how do you use automation to make sure that, you know, it's doing the slightly some of the more manual tasks so that you can actually utilize what's coming out of whatever you're automating and use that to offer more value back to your client or back to your consumer if, if you're talking from a client perspective. Privacy is not going away. We need to prepare for the quickest world. We need to get on top of first party data. You know, it's pretty shocking um, how many brands are still not really utilising their first party data. It's all over the place in multiple different silos and they need to bring it back to bring it together. And if they do, then they generally see a massive uptick in their performance on their advertising as a starting point, but just, you know, a much better understanding of how the consumer is interacting with the brand. And I think agencies have actually got a massive role to play there. I think, you know, they've done a great job of really kind of getting under the skin of what privacy means for, for how they offer their services out. And then I think, you know, if we sort of take it up a level, just really kind of getting under the skin of where the consumer is and how demand is shifting, you know, we have seen an enormous change over the last 18 months. A lot of those changes aren't going back. Some are continuing to accelerate, and so things that we thought were true before aren't necessarily going to be true in the future. There's different ways of keeping on on top of that. One is, as I said, just like you know, really understanding or, or utilizing better the first party data that brands have got. But you know, some of it will be around uh, using things like Google Trends, using tools like Automated Insights, which we provide which really help you understand where the consumer is i think you know we, we're facing a very different media landscape to the one that we had a couple of years ago it's only going to continue to change and so the only way to make sure that you're really cutting through and reaching that consumer right message right medium right time is by spending time to really understand what they're after and again like you know the brands that are doing this best and the agencies that are doing it this best are the ones that are are being increasingly more successful
1: True customer centricity and to uh, true customer first uh, marcoms uh, strategy. Hundred uh, percent. Thank you for that, Matt. If I could bring the other guys back in uh, to the conversation, I think we heard from you, Joe, before we spoke to Matt about. I think you referred to conversations that marketers have with with CFOs and perhaps even uh, CEOs. I, I mentioned influence uh, in my introduction and. Um, delivering better and more meaningful measures of impact obviously will in turn help marketers perhaps become more influential uh, in their organizations. And um, I think one of the big issues is around language and terms like effectiveness, perhaps meaning different things to different people. As I say, Joe, uh, you brought up the topic of conversations with CFOs, which is obviously a key stakeholder for any kind of marketer. I mean, does language need to be more standard and uh, how would you advise that uh, a marketer speak and frame and describe the activity and their objectives to somebody like a CFO so they can get that influence and ultimately get the money.
4: Simplicity and and focus helps a lot. So having a a North Star that everyone can work to, a metric that all the stakeholders actually in the business understand, and it is a marketing metric that we might use as an interim measure to understand our own kind of individual team's performance, but a real metric that is either tied to margin, gross revenue, Profit, well, whatever is the most important metric for that business has to be the North Star that that we work to, because that's what everyone can kind of gather around. So bringing that kind of focus, I think, would help us, number one. Secondly, going back to that point around lifetime value as a real metric of trying to understand how much you can pay to acquire a customer in the first place. The key thing I would advise there is there has to be a period of patience and tolerance for that model to build because you don't build it in a week. You don't really build it in months. It's really over kind of a year. And probably longer that you will start to get a real idea of what is the true value of, of this marketing investment, which in turn then starts to build a lot of confidence in the business. So it's definitely not easy, but for 100 marketing teams to be able to get the internal stakeholders on board with the journey, I think everyone's got to understand what it is we're trying to build, and the elements that, that go into it, the, the kind of the, the building blocks that allow us to build models like that over time. And then, you know, as Simon said, you know, hold your nerve a bit on it. Because if you don't, and you try and kind of go in and, and interfere, you may very well undo the work that, that you're doing. And that's not easy either, when you know everyone's interested in, in revenue and profit and, and wanting to ensure that they're, they're hitting their own kind of metrics of success.
1: I think that's the expression of the uh, the day. I, I wrote it down in block capitals on my notebook here, holding your nerve. Uh, it's, it's sound advice <laughs> in business marketing and life. Simon, you've obviously sat opposite lots of CFOs and CEOs in your time. The benefit of everybody listening, presumably you have seen some success. Uh, what's behind that success? It's It's about influence, but it's also about narrative as well. What do you find works?
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's run an agenda to drive growth and therefore, you know, what works is kind of actively owning that agenda and you know being really clear on you know what's needed to drive growth and and not just from a marketing point of view but from across the organization we need to be really clear on that. It is about having the right measures set up so that you can actively monitor progress and it's about sharing those measures You know, weekly, we share our our measures weekly to highlight the progress being made. And and of course, we highlight with great transparency the challenges that we're facing because, of course, you know, it's an organisational strategy and ambition to grow. Therefore, it's not just within a marketing function. We're a content-led business. And so, of course, we work with all our teams across which, whether that's content or product, etc., ultimately in the ambition to drive growth. So I think it's really important that everyone understands the focus, but it's that transparency and regular communication of how we're doing. And I'll be honest, you know, to Joe's point, ultimately our North Star is our net customer position. Last week we had this number of customers, this week how many customers have we got? And it's really sobering. We report now every week, and you might think this is a number that everyone should be obsessing about always, but as I say, you know, previously with the old model, the obsession was much more around... How many new trialists had we brought in and trying to make sure that we're bringing enough? Whereas now, yes, of course, we obsess about lots of metrics, but we are very transparent about uh, and obsessing about our net customer position. And yeah, it's really sobering. You know, we will have a run of weeks where actually we've lost... Customers. When you look at the total new members come in, and the and the total that have cancelled, uh, we we've lost customers, and, and that's really sobering. But on the flip side of that, it's really motivating when you have weeks and you're growing. So uh, ultimately, that's what we're here to do, particularly as a marketing function, to is to drive that growth agenda and actively manage it. So, I think that transparency goes a long way for all internal stakeholders, whether it's CFOs, CEOs, etc.
1: Sound cogent and uh, straightforward, uh, focused advice to use another word that has come up quite a few times today. Thank you, Simon. Andy, if I could ask you around this question of aligning around a sort of common definition of uh, effectiveness and how to measure it. I mean, can you give me some examples of how perhaps some of your clients at BrainLags have successfully done this and in what way? Yeah, I completely agree with Simon that everything should be laddering up
3: to that kind of growth agenda. Touching on one of the points earlier, I think the challenge comes where exactly how that looks for certain campaigns might be different. I think, again, sounds like maybe an obvious one, but the starting point is kind of really getting to grips with the consumer journey that you're asking people to go through um, and then trying to understand, okay, well, how do we need to speak to customers at each stage of that journey? And off the back of that, you can help to put together your measurement framework to understand, for paid search or for paid social, this is what we consider a success. Um, but having very clear guidelines around, you know, any, I guess, above the line activity and yeah, just having that kind of, I guess, agreement across the organization and across teams of what effectiveness means and trying to bake that into any OKRs or, you know, team objectives um, that you might have as well would be my kind of very broad answer to that. And yeah, off the back of that, I guess, you know, you then can start to educate the organization a lot more thoroughly in terms of, you know, the roles that all of your campaigns and channels should be trying to drive for the business
1: simplicity again behind that goal thank you Andy I think that's probably a good and a straightforward way to finish on so thank you uh, for your thoughts there Andy and thank you Simon and Joe for sharing your experiences and also your thoughts on what good should look like and indeed how to get there uh, a couple of things that have uh, stood out for me today that you've all said that I'm going to perhaps uh, unfairly linked together, but I think they, they do form a narrative. Finding your North star, which I think is a really nice expression. I take that as just be very clear on, well, the strategy, really where you want to be and how you plan to get there. And then holding your nerve, which I mentioned a few times was a key phrase of the day, being clear on where you want to get to and then holding your nerve to get there, but also obviously having success measures that ultimately point towards Profitability over time. And I think it is key to make sure that you are on that journey and you do give it time to complete. So thank you very much to all of you again for your thoughts. Thank you very much to everybody that listened. Until next time, goodbye from me and goodbye from the guys. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to Marketing That Matters from Marketing Week and consultancy sponsored by Google, with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue from London Creative and edited by Rebecca Sentence. Look out for the next episode in which I'll be talking to Assembly and Ralph Lauren about how the luxury fashion brand has used automation and what brands can do to embrace and get the most from marketing automation. Until then, goodbye from me.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Google Search. It's where your customers find what matters to them and where you can find what matters to your business. To learn more, visit g.co slash think slash search smarter. That's g.co slash think slash search smarter.